Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest and greatest edition of Nick's Nonfiction. Today we have got Benjamin Breen breaking the age of intoxication. My name is Nick, that is short for Nick's Nonfiction, and Ben's name is short for Benzodiazepine. Uh, he's talking about how drugs from the beginning of time have been entangled with science and empire. Really wasn't the pharmaceutical complex of today. You had individual shamans doing their thing. I personally struggle with drug addiction, so cocaine is where I draw the line. What kind of drug does a duck do? Quack. What kind of drugs do birds do? Crocaine. <laughs> He's talking about the East Indies merchants who sold weed to philosopher Robert Hooke at the same time the Atlantic trade was blowing up because of the sickly sweet tobacco. Ben's main thesis for the day is, quote, I believe that it is impossible to understand human history without accounting for the centrality of drug taking as a fundamental human impulse. You got monkeys out in the jungle eating fermented apples just to get a little bit tipsy. The war on drugs has shifted <laughs> from like governments against people to, I think, back to governments against governments. China is shipping in all this opium. It's a human need to want to get messed up. When all these empires get involved, more casualties rise up. And you know the history, the British opium. We're going to be glazing over that today. They got China hooked for years on end. And the U.S. is like a, uh, we're kind of like a scumbag dealer in our own way. We go over to the Golden Triangle in the Middle East to get all of our poppy plants. And then China is doing their 100% synthetic opium, which is fentanyl. They're the LSD dealer who gives you research chemicals. They're even worse of a dealer, maybe. I don't know. I'm still fighting the good fight out here in Denver with decriminalized mushrooms. <laughs> it's a two-front war out here. We are certainly losing to the benzos, one-third of Americans at least. If you ever need a spore swap, let me know. Mycology is still legal in 47 states. Today the book, the narrative, is centered around Lisbon, Portugal. It's a city known for the decriminalized drugs and known for the homelessness. Benny Breen says about the city, long quote, It is sleepy during the day, frequented mostly by tourists and the occasional stray cat, eager to take in its panoramic views. But as the sun sets over the Tejo River, revelers of the city's nightlife districts crowds, the south end of the tiny plaza, dealers in MDMA, hashish, and cocaine begin to ply their wares. By nightfall, on a typical Friday, Lisbon has become one of the busiest drug markets in Europe. Portugal has to be the most Chad country in Europe. They're like the Florida of America. Stay off my damn peninsula. I'm going to do my crocodile down here. Why can't Americans be like that? How are we going to tax the MDMA dealer? <laughs> like, are you going to be allowed to sue Pfizer when you OD on their Fenty-laced Coke? I'm going to err on a side of personal responsibility here today. <laughs> because you're not allowed to sue drug companies anyway. So what are we talking about? We'll have the book like Drug Use for Adults in the Future. America is a nation of kid adults. We probably aren't mature enough for most <laughs> advanced drugs. We're talking about alcohol, as the intro alluded to. And uh, you're going to learn about phlebotomy, the study of phlegm. I have a PhD in phlebotomy. Meeting all the players. This gets fucking battered after these messages <laughs> ladies and gentlemen make sure you are checking out that patreon our latest edition is white hot confessions of an economic hitman straight up james bond worldwide story of corruption the memes over at harry schwant instagram improving quality over sixteen thousand followers and uh donate to our newly established nick's non-fiction foundation all proceeds go toward teaching strippers how to read Yes, it's a real thing. Finally, Benjamin Breen, we got an author without a Wikipedia page. Straight from Benjamin's website. I am an associate professor of history at UC Santa Cruz, interested in the history of globalization, science, drugs, and the long-term impacts of technical change. This guy better be on a watch list. The last person who was interested in long-term technological impacts. That guy planted a bomb at the University of Chicago. Shout out the Zinsk. He's a contributing author to the Paris Review, the Atlantic Slate, 
Aeon, what is that, a magazine on Mars, and the Chronicle of Higher Education. Since 2017, homie's been teaching at UC Santa Cruz, and that's notoriously the biggest stoner college in America for our overseas listeners. Bro, you trying to fucking toke some fire gonge down on Goleta Point tonight? <laughs> Heard there's gonna be a big swell. We are participants of a comedy here on Nick's Nonfiction. Did you know that Mitch Hedberg died of a drug overdose? Which means the drugs came from Mexico. Otherwise, he would have overtooed. If you OD on two drugs at once, is it an overquatro? Jimi Hendrix died of an overture comedy. Women are like drugs. They're too expensive and ruin your life. <laughs> We got a good book today, six chapters. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Chapter 1, The Age of Intoxication, Searching for Drugs. Captain Lacerda was known for his intelligence and was tasked with discovering South America for the country of Portugal. On Lacerda's 1683 voyage, he bought back from a tiny village the Quina plant, Q-U-I-N-A, quote, Kina would become one of the planet's most valuable crops, famed as a malaria treatment because of the powerful fever fighting alkaloids in its bark. So through the 1700s, Kina was known as this miracle drug, and it was just the bark of a tree they found in the Amazon. So I'm just thinking it's a good thing that Bill Gates is distributing a ton of shots to India to cure malaria when we know there's a bark that could do it. <laughs> So uh, Portugal and the Spanish were like doubling down on colonization, saying there's these miracle drugs over in the Amazon. They call it the world's pharmacy. You know that 80% of the world's biodiversity lives under the ocean? I'm going to start going down there and licking squids. There's like octopuses that excrete 5-MAO-DMT, bro. Lacerda, on his next journey, he was asking all these villagers, what other drugs do you have that work? And the natives were looking around at each other. What's a drug? You want some more of that medicine we gave you? <laughs> no, nobody knows. They're talking over each other's heads. In terms of like mixed categorization, we're going to go deep on this. Ben said, A lump of gold might retain its core characteristics and its value despite crossing cultural frontiers and undergoing repeated material transformations. But drugs do not. By consuming them, we erase them. By harvesting and preparing them, we obscure their biological origins. You can't eat gold. In naming them, we sow confusion. And by turning them into tools of sociable, spiritual, or healing, we overlay a constantly changing array of cultural beliefs onto the basic facts of their existence as material objects. Drugs have a lot more meaning than just a piece of metal. You could trade them for much more. <laughs> bro like sometimes you take a drug and you're like the value of this is not even put, be able to put in language not even be able to put in money something that expands your mind that's not even worth a billion dollars the portuguese differ from the spanish at this time the spanish were continuing to like shake down indigenous tribes they're skinning everybody and the portuguese were trying to make some commerce here the Spaniards just straight up gave up. <laughs> they decided to conquer and destroy all the Incan empires because they couldn't communicate. The Portuguese were going, you know, the quina plant, this thing is like the modern ibuprofen. How did you get this? Where did this, which tree did this come from? And then the natives would just go back, Mother Earth, what fucking plant, you savage? <laughs> the Portuguese were cutting out the middlemen. You know, they went straight to the Amazon. I don't know, because the Spaniards went straight to the source. You know what I'm saying? They fucking conquered. Ben said in a very real sense, there was no such thing as a single drug called Kina and no clearly delineated bank of traditional knowledge that Europeans could co-opt to discover it. A ton of cooler plants came out of the Amazon at this time, even though I know people that take four ibuprofens at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Tobacco evolved in the Amazon. They called it Nicotiana. Nicotine for the longest time, it's the world's most consumed drug. And then only in the past like 200 years did that switch to caffeine. We're getting the Easterners hooked on it now. Nicotine was straight up what it's about. <laughs> they said you get less COVID if you smoke tobacco, but not cigarettes because that's got 40 other carcinogens in it. 
it's all the other shit that goes into these things like uh <laughs> bill gates's fucking malaria medication why are there dangerous metals inside of it just give us the fucking plant the kina root i'm gonna sound like the captain from wally today give me the plant Columbus even trafficked Yopo snuff. This was a powdered seed. It contained psychoactive DMT. So he's going on to say some heavy psychs were being pushed around the globe since the 1500s. And then the Amazons in the 1800s, it was referred to as the world's apothecary. Ben was talking about some 30,000-year-old fossils found in the Amazon basin, and it contained Homo sapien and Neanderthal remains. He was kind of going off the deep end here, and I'm about it. We're going to have to go deeper on the Patreon here. I'm aware of our platform, but to cite some actual history, Captain Hook, when he went to Patagonia, he wrote about meeting tribes of 10-foot-tall natives. So Benjamin Breen's going on about gigantic human remains. and the Who knows, the Neanderthals were friggin' incredible Hulk-looking motherfuckers. The whole point of this like superculture rant he went on is uh, everybody had the shaman. No matter how close to the monkey you still are, there was one guy who knew the plants and would heal everybody. We got a quote towards the end of the chapter here. Shamans stood apart from the normal social order, closely guarding hard-won knowledge of a natural landscape that was perceived to be imbued with latent spiritual powers of gods, ancestors, ambiguous magical forces, or even the spirits of psychoactive plants themselves. In such an arrangement, drug knowledge tended to be socially segregated and highly prized. This is secret knowledge, straight up. This is like a dangerous position to be the one guy with all that forbidden stuff and you know how to heal people. If you are in the mafia, you would whack this guy so everybody has to come to the mob doctor. Didn't like Dr. Shiva die? That Oh shit, I shouldn't say these names. There's YouTube doctors dropping dead, son. <laughs> um, yeah, you gotta like ascend the mountain to meet the shaman. You know, that's the whole steps of Shangri-La. They have to remove themselves from society because you'll get your shit clocked by the Clintons. The name of the chapter was Searching for Drugs. Since 30,000 BC, it's been a hassle to score drugs. I mean, uh, he ended the chapter with a cool fact. It was about the Spaniards when they found Kina. They were able to cure syphilis with it. And that's why everyone wore those powdered wigs back in the day. Their hair was falling out. Portuguese Kenya was mostly for the malaria, but the Spaniards were using it as a dick pill as well. Isn't that wild? <laughs> they found uh, Viagra back in the day. I bet there's still a lot of syphilis going around because of all the biodiversity in the Amazon, humans have yet to find a remedy for male pattern baldness. <laughs> they start wearing those white powdered wigs again. It's not enough to find the drugs. You got to market them and traffic them as well. Let's move along to chapter two, selling drugs. There were no drug crimes in 1600 Portugal. Jail existed for criminals of the Inquisition. You could sell any kind of drug you wanted so long as the state wasn't selling it as well. It's the same as today, selling like ivermectin. I went to the store Tractor Supply Company. <laughs> it's locked away in the back of the store. They're only selling the topical brand now. They like wiped to the shelves of the human one. It's because you have to develop the untested drug Pfizer-Mectin. You know what I'm saying? If you um, are running the same streets as the state mafia, you're going to get stamped out. 1669, Maria Pinto, she was being held in jail for heresy, excommunicated to Brazil from Portugal. The book had all these cool artifacts from her diary from throughout her life. In late 1669, she opened her own apothecary in Brazil, and she would trade with Portuguese sailors. And so the heresy, you know, she was found guilty for was trading illicit drugs. What does this even mean? I'm saying the 1600s was the first time they started coming up with these new classifications. Illicit means having damage to the monarchy. <laughs> if you're hurting our commerce, then you are considered illicit. So Maria was able to get away with selling the most popular drugs in Portugal because she was in a port in Brazil. So the government really doesn't care if you're trading the same drug if it's across the sea. 
More importantly, they don't care if the drug is hurting you. Illicit means damaging to the state. This is the same tagline the cops use <laughs> to protect and serve. The whole quote is to protect and serve the state. People don't look into anything. It's not there to protect you. It's all to prop up the system further. It's the same today with the tiers of threat. Well, class one, marijuana has zero benefit. Alcohol on every corner in America. Alcohol is legal because it makes you stupid. 50% of violent crimes take place under the thing of alcohol. I love it. I used to drink a handle of vodka a week. I should be Nikolai Munov. <laughs> this is a great social drug, I'm saying here. If the fucking government actually cared about your health, all the people dying of liver cirrhosis and heart disease, <laughs> alcohol would be obviously scheduled as some sort of narcotic. I don't want to see that happen. Actually, maybe, and then I'll start moonshining and get rich. Talking about these illicit, illicit... Yo, alcohol makes you illicit as fuck! I say some reckless things when I'm on the sauce. <laughs> and then there's fucking mushrooms, which cure depression, which are proven to be have no significant benefit. Because after ingesting those, you can classify the government as a threat. <laughs> so they have to say... You're illicit before you call them illicit. It's all a game of pointing fingers. Statistically, I'm just saying to cap this point, if the government cared about you, statistically, if we made a law against alcohol, domestic abuse would drop in half. Most traders that were competing with this chick Maria Pinto were shipping drugs back to the Portuguese that they liked. And so she starts zagging the other way when the market gets crowded. What's, you're supposed to start selling the... In order to make a drug popular, you got to start getting the actors and the celebrities hooked on it. Maria had some co-worker who was an in-house doctor for King Louis Fourteenth, So she starts uh, like being a holistic shaman overseas in France. All these uh, crazy drugs start getting pushed through France as well. This chapter is about selling drugs. Got to get your own market when all the newbies come... Really interesting fact here. They were saying in the 1600s, Portugal had a shortage of surgeons because everybody who had medical potential just went to Brazil to start practicing plant medicine. I hope this honestly happens again. Your doctor is telling you to take your 16th booster and your ear, you've gone deaf in one ear, you're drooling on half your face, strokes, brain hemorrhages. <laughs> like, I hope people start taking a second look at the medical industrial complex I'll share some personal stories in a little bit i've got a benjamin breen quote mid chapter drug merchants transported substances that when paired with appropriate knowledge unlocked virtues that altered the mind and body the substances alone were of ambiguous utility they required someone with the knowledge of how to prepare them Apothecaries were the intellectual go-betweens in this schema, the artisans who drew the active virtues out of simples and transformed them into remedies. I love that word, schema. <laughs> uh, yeah, these uh, apothecaries were able to take just plants that meant nothing to anybody and turn them into magic substances. That's why I said at the beginning of the show, you're allowed to sell spores in 50 states. This is, uh, check out the fucking merch tab. It's my new business. Yeah, it, a spore means nothing. It's for microscopy. If I sell it to you, it's only to look at it under a microscope. You know this. I would never encourage anybody to do anything else. You have to look up these online apothecaries that are banned, and it'll teach you how to turn the simples into the remedies. Literally every living organism produces exogenous DMT. <laughs> I don't know how to extract it. You need one of these modern apothecary men in order to do that. Bro, I lived in a Denver flop house for a couple months. This was not a halfway house. This was not a three-quarters house. Full-on flop house. Someone upstairs was cooking DMT. I swear to God, they opened a portal. This kid, <laughs> he created puppet shows in his spare time. He would let me use his studio. Complete bro. When he wasn't fucking selling DMT. <laughs> the amount of stories he told me of people who fucking broke through. 
in this house. I had to get out of there. There were fucking spiders crawling on my face in the middle of the night, two months in, two months out. And I certainly did not participate in this guy's whack job method. Benjamin was following that quote up uh, about turning nothing into something, about needing a shaman. MDMA PTSD studies today are showing how if you give a veteran an experienced administrator, they could work through their trauma. You know, instead we're making them play Call of Duty. Immersion simulators. You have to live through the frag grenade a million times. How about you let them fucking roll their tits off? We should be able to take, like, (laughs) I'm saying, with having a two-way street, the dynamic medicine where it's all individual, it affects people differently. You need an administrator, a shaman, to come home with you after you take the jab. Like, if a nurse came home with you, you're able to tell her all your side effects? (laughs) You know, maybe more people would take it. Hopefully not. In 1590, Benjamin Breen was saying Shakespeare dropped the Merchant of Venice, and this included the character Shylock the Jew. Is Shakespeare an anti-Semitic alt-writer? <laughs> Twain has been banned from the curriculum. Maybe Shakespeare needs to be canceled also. People were becoming super weary of merchants in the early 1600s because of this one fictional characters. And drug merchants, they were able to lie... I don't know, more than a banana salesman. You got a banana salesman cutting all of his product with plantains. Those things are gross. Breed is claiming the phrase charlatan was first used in reference to drug merchants who actively cheated people. So next time a Coke dealer shorts me, I'm going to call him a fucking charlatan in front of everyone. Doth skimped me my blow, ye charlatan. When you're trading... At the crossroads of the world, you really don't have to worry about quality control. There's no Yelp in 1600. Illicit, who cares about any of that? He goes on to say that chicks like Maria Puta, whatever her name was, Maria with the fat culo, Mota Maria, she would put on her things P-M-A-O, plant, mineral, animal, or other. And this caught on with all the merchants in Portugal. And so they were able to gain a little bit of street cred back by 1700. We're just so deprived in 2020 that you go to the heroin dealer if you find out that his shit killed somebody. Because it's so good. Back then people didn't want to die. That's interesting. (laughs) And uh, so these new systems helped. And it's not the government. Illicit, illicit, schedule one. Is this a plant, a mineral? And then you can experiment for yourself. (laughs) But experimenting is anti-scientific. You have to trust the deacon of science. Ben says, in short, the widening scope of what apothecaries could do with drugs created new opportunities for societal power and wealth. Yet, this power was undercut by ties to supposedly corrupt or foreign practices from herbalists who were accused of witchcraft, to Judaizing apothecaries, to murderous mummy merchants, to traveling African healers. (laughs) So, you know, 1700s, we got another inquisition on our hands right before we got the Enlightenment. (laughs) So, you know, you could really rat on somebody hard back then. They would go straight to the chokey or the torture chamber if you said, this guy skimped me on drugs. (laughs) So the the power was in the buyer's hands back then. Yeah, his whole quote is like, it's not about making money off the trade. The king has all the fucking gold in the kingdom. This is about controlling the avenues of trade. Why do you think the CIA is trafficking coke (laughs) through Mena, Arkansas? Go watch American Made. He added in a subsection about women. This was like the first job that women could have aside from prostitute in history. The Black Plague just ended. And, like, nobody trusted doctors. All those dudes in their crow masks were giving you leeches. Oh, this will cure the Black Plague. Just put a leech on your eye. What are you saying, sir? And so people stopped going to doctors. They started going to the Native Americans, the Celtics over in Europe, and all these natural healers. And look at that. It worked better than taking... What are these, like, Wellbutrin or these sad people drugs that... 
get off of that shit, but not immediately because you'll shoot up a high school. There's natural remedies, and Wellbutrin was that smoking wean off. It wound up giving people cancer. <laughs> That's funny. So the Black Plague ended. I'm saying it went through a period where Maria, doing her POAR classifications of minerals and plants, perfect combination for the Enlightenment to spring up. That'll happen in a couple chapters. The end of this one, selling drugs. Need to emphasize this point, people. If the government cared about your safety, <laughs> would they be screening drugs for impurities rather than just saying, this is illicit? Like, they would make this thing legal and test it. Let me give you an example. Taco Bell has a fucking ground brief E. coli outbreak once a decade. When that happens, the FDA comes along to test the meat for impurities. They don't deem meat an illicit chemical. And that's happening in today's world. <laughs> We're just not allowed to have meat because it's dangerous. Do you see the fucking schema of history? <laughs> we know on this show you can't fucking trust the government. I think the community handles it. Yo, that guy over there sells some dirt weed. He is Shylock. <laughs> don't buy from him. Like, dry counties exist. That's the perfect example. There are places in America where certain days of the week you can't buy booze because of God. And Americans don't put anything above God. But that is because God stands for gun, oil, and drugs. So does the government care about our They would be testing the meat or the drugs if they actually did. And we just learned in the book <laughs> from the grocery stores, they don't even test the food. Food is just safe. So let me give my final emphasis. We have a fentanyl outbreak flooding the market. <laughs> I can't trust cocaine. You can't rely on the FDA. You can't rely on your dealer. You got to do your own quality control. The free market will forever be the solution. Buy a test kit online. I'm not coming on here to scare you about the fentanyl epidemic. Buy a fucking test kit. If you're going to, like, uh, Louis the Fourteenth, that was a king that, or I think it was an early one, Louis the Fourth. earlier this chapter. That guy liked to party, so he just hired a shaman from Brazil to bring into the castle for the best parties ever. Another place to stop with the time machine. Now that you got the information, you can go in informed. Who's trying to try that crocodile? Chapter 3 fetishizing drugs started the chapter saying a fetish by definition is something made by humans this is big in the drug community designer drugs benda 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 designer the rapper <laughs> it makes more sense when you think about foot fetishes it's made by humans we used to wear sandals but then we put on those buckle shoes and there's fucking guys beating off to feet, apparently. Fetishes. <laughs> People are usually scared of synthetic drugs unless it's part of the culture. Alcohol, even though you think it's been with us forever, alcohol was discovered when we started farming. So technically that's synthetic. That's not something that exists on Earth unless you found an apple that's fermented right. If you try to sip... You would think this was like you're poisoning yourself, but it has been grandfathered into society, so there's no point breaking down the trade. Like, uh, if I can, we'll probably do a book on alcohol. I'm trying to say it's its own story, baby. <laughs> We're being honest on the show today. What drugs get fetishized and why throughout the ages? Alcohol stops being cool when you get out of college. And if you want to get really specific, maybe in the last two years of college, it starts becoming sad. You see who's going to be the alcoholic. The best drinking ever is a high school open house. <laughs> like every drug has its place in time. You fetishize alcohol so much as a kid to the point where you would tell your parents you're sleeping over each other's house and pass out in a field drinking scotch. <laughs> We would do rocket fuel. You take a little bit of every single uh, liquor from the parents' bar. <laughs> Yo, alga it's the fetishization that makes the drug so much fun. I'm saying weed 
isn't even cool in college. Like, weed, the best time is when you're 15 years old and giggling in the woods with your friends. <laughs> I could go deep on that, too. We have a Slosher's book coming up about weed. But after, like, three years, I think everybody reaches that point where you've learned what you needed. Like, a weed nug starts looking like Yoda, and it's telling you to just turn away. What more is there to learn here, young Padawan? You hear now, like, high schoolers, they smoke more than they drink. And that might be why it's cool to be bisexual in high school. Ew. I mean, very progressive cool. (laughs) And in your 20s, cocaine is kind of cool, but uh, it'll fucking ruin your life. You watch it happen to people. (laughs) The drugs that are being fetishized, like, today are obviously affecting our culture in 2020, it's hormones. High school kids are more often trans than they will try speed. <laughs> I don't know, man. They think it's cool to save Earth. That's their drug. Chapter's called fucking fetishization. When you institute a uh, chemical into a daily process, that's when it becomes a ritual, he says. And so if you think about Christianity, it's a religion centered around drinking wine every Sunday. That's why moms love it. It's a continuous act around chemicals. He actually detoured to talk about the Church of Cannabis in Denver. They were the first people to get it approved. I went by a couple times. They only get high on Sundays there. It's like a, you know, it's a social club. (laughs) You know, I wonder why there's no uh, papal class of kitty touchers in the Church of Cannabis. I wonder why there's no rampant alcoholism (laughs) and you know catholic priests touch boys and get drunk that's their jit the christian culture outlaws everything therefore fetishizing anal with a nice christian girl we got a quote about churches starting rituals of designer drugs when healers and political leaders in africa and in dispora sought access to the benevolence of ancestors and gods via offerings of palm tree wine and mixtures of roots animal products and herbs they did so in a shared framework of fetisiaria that was understood as effect by europeans and africans even the fucking spanish we're talking about fetishizing Looks like this was when he talked about 1700s Portugal had that surgeon shortage. And I made a note about uh, <laughs> in Colorado, like they had just have CVSs closed everywhere because you have to be fucking quadruple jabbed to work in the pharmacy. So people are now working at dispensaries where you also make tips and you have all your fucking healthcare plans too. Like I'm saying, people go to the natural apothecaries it's a pretty good example. Modern day. Topical. Topical ivermectin. Look at uh, Mexico. People flee there from America to get their stem cell shots. How long are we going to be able to keep up this charade of <laughs> medical malpractice? Which is one of the top five causes of death in the most advanced country on earth. I think I told the story of the Delaware quack I went to on the show before. This guy tried to go get me hooked on a nasal spray. (laughs) And you see people that are hooked on that shit, you might as well be doing coke out of your purse. I went for a skin test, and this guy made me huff cold medicine. Not sure how the two are related. He made me do it three times in the 20 minutes I was there. And when I left, he gave me a referral code for the fucking spray. Bro. Are you a doctor or a fit tea influencer? Why are you giving me a fucking referral code? I have a deviated septum. Straight up, my right nostril doesn't work. Listen. (laughs) And that's my left one. Like, half my face just doesn't work. You would think it's from a collapsed cocaine fucking septum or something. I (laughs) This guy didn't even try to fix that. He's just shoving drugs up my nose and not addressing the rash I went there for. Had a fucking rash. Thankfully, it never came back because it was between the final years of college. And you know how I was saying that's the fucking (laughs) saddest time? It's just stress, people. That's Take a fucking week off, bro. All your shit is going to float away. And then get your spore swabs. Oh, nasal spray, is that going to make stress go away? (laughs) Like, we need shamans, bro. We need people teaching you how to deal with... Baloney. 
you could hear it in my voice. I'm like 25 years old now. I'm only just coming down <laughs> from whatever programming type of stress that crap is. And the only thing I have to help is probably psilocybin. I say this on stage and it hits probably because it's true. I was able to get off drugs by doing mushrooms. <laughs> Ashwagandha is also pretty dope. They sell it at like health food stores. It repairs damaged synapses. You know, stress literally decays your mind and body. It fries your synapses. And psilocybin, under an MRI, it shows this thing called neurogenesis. Your brain starts to rewire connections. It's fucking reverse aging. Probably why it's illegal. I'm saying, uh, yeah, make your own cocktails. Do like a ashwagandha GABA smoothie. A fucking 5-MEO mushroom trip <laughs> keep taking synthetic pharmaceuticals <laughs> that turn off regions of your brain you know when they do those antidepressants under an mri it just shows that like you've been lobotomized basically things don't change it just gets a little less invasive turn on i'll put my soapbox away for the rest of the episode but this fetishization shit ruins society think for yourself Ben said the Portuguese were the first to mix African tobacco with cannabis. Everyone thought before, no, you have to do one drug at a time. Speedballs, people. It's a hit. You know, the Iberian Peninsula is known for their spliff game. Over in England, you get a spliff and it's 90% tobacco. Well, from what I hear from Spain, they got the proper ratio and so do the women's hips. The Portuguese were uh, scared out of Africa by all the natives there, so they were able to focus all their energy on Brazil, and that's why they speak it to this very day. Let's go to chapter four. Occult qualities. Yes. 1680, Duarto Macedo was the king of Portugal. He was pissed of seeing the Spanish starting to steal their game, selling to the white man. Macedo caves and joins the Royal Society of London. And this is when it starts to get hairy, people. King Charles II was empathetic to Duarte. Their country was taken over by Spain for most of the 1500s, so he thinks he's a bold ruler. Charles told Duarte, The Spanish seem prudent, but are mad. And the French seem mad, but are prudent. This is because... The Spanish have all of the materials and disdain the arts, and the French had no materials but esteemed the arts. I guess nobody knew how to, like, identify liberty cap mushrooms over in France. Those things litter the countryside. You need the knowledge that Portugal has of all the fucking drugs and then the material that Spain stole <laughs> to make it all work. So, yeah, if we all worked together, the world would be great, Benjamin Breen. Is King Charles II was an interesting character. Him and uh, Duarte would trip off of psychedelic wine together. Ben was making a point about succumbing to the North and becoming one with the Club of London. This uh, like cemented uh, Portugal's oppositional defiance disorder. That's why they're the Florida of Europe. We're doing our own fucking thing down here. No masks. Stay off my peninsula, bitch. Or maybe it's just something about that landform that makes people non-agreeable. <laughs> ben is uh, making all these weird points, but bro, they're doing psychedelic wine together. That's the real history of occultic secret societies. Over these sessions that Macedo and Charles II had getting absolutely twisted, they said uh, Macedo came up with a plan to sell drugs for their artistic properties. So this is the 1700s. You got the Enlightenment picking up. And Macedo apparently came up with the idea. Charles II starts paying a bunch of artists to do drugs and then write about those. You got like Henry David Thoreau in America 50 years later writing about doing mushrooms and then natural rights. <laughs> so uh, this is a formula. Maybe people are just interested because it's awesome and there's knowledge we know nothing about people are bringing back by doing drugs and talking about it those are some of the biggest fucking channels on youtube uh and also there's a like massive way to manipulate the tides with it 
rather than being some independent transcendentalist. Like, I am highly convinced Van Gogh had some sort of ergot in his water, or he got LSD in his system somehow. When you look at Starry Night and you're tripping balls, the universe just makes sense. It's... <laughs> Uh, neoclassicalism is that whole type of art finally people were saying okay we see the bridge put a different twist on it Macedo, unsung hero of history here some trust fund royalty who like used his influence to make people pay attention to uh i don't know drugs <laughs> we know the hobnobber got exiled ben breen wrote Ralph Montague was a prominent patron of the Royal Society who maintained relationships with pivotal figures in the history of science, such as Robert Hooke and John Locke. There you go. A couple of uh, influencers in the American Revolution that were tied into the Royal Society. Another quote, figures like Newton and Boyle may have well been hostile to an older occult definition as insensible, but they were committed to a revised conception of occult virtues as forces hidden in nature that, though currently unintelligible, could be subjectively... He's saying exactly like before, we need people such as Newton who are going deep on math to fucking do that pioneering for the secret society. There's really nothing deep here. Um, Macedo described the Royal Society of London as the discovery of secret natural philosophy and chemical experiments. I said before, history just fucking ramps up in size or gets less invasive. He just said fucking secret societies are doing chemical experiments. Bill Gates Davos, which we learned about in the Great Reset, is trying to block out the sun. That's a real thing. That's good. So yeah, chemical experiments on a grand scale for natural philosophy. Bill, you're going to get another pie to the face. Hillary Clinton, we know this bitch took like pro-vigil every single day just so she wouldn't faint. That's what Marines use to stimulate themselves in combat. <laughs> I don't want to know the cocktail that Joe Biden is on. This shit is wild. Secret societies love their illicit drugs and i would be an asshole here if i didn't mention adrenochrome in the occult chapter i honestly don't think it's a real thing i have read fear and loathing in las vegas this is where the cultural rumor started who's to say hunter s thompson wasn't the newest uh club of rome royal society of london philosopher i'm around drugs a decent amount <laughs> like you can't go one open mic without seeing a comic do a line of coke in the bathroom. Buddy, you really need to rip a fat slug to go tell jokes to six drunk strangers? <sighs> Rock on, buddy. The amount of drugs I've done... I've been in dealer dens with thousands in cash and garbage bags full of weed. Allegedly. Allegedly. You would think that by now I have ran into adrenochrome. <laughs> I don't know, some of these occult conspiracies get pushed like Q just to muddy the waters. Maybe on Epstein's Island they were doing adrenochrome in the Sun Temple. <laughs> I could be wrong, but we do know for sure they were trafficking kids there. Like, if someone asks you for adrenochrome, just know they're probably a narc. The Dark Cabal follows their own set of rules, which means their own set of drugs. Does anyone find it weird that Congress never did their own mRNA therapy? And just open your mind here, people. I'm not calling Congress an occult. But why don't they have to take the drug when fucking grocery store workers do? You know what I'm saying here? Why does Bill Gates not vaccinate his kids? Does anybody else find it weird that your doctor is not allowed to administer the jab? It has to be a stranger. <laughs> It's the same exact thing as before. Medicine should be a dynamic two-way street where you can take home the administrator or you have someone to talk you through this drug. <laughs> that shit is insane. Ended this chapter with a quote about the entire Portuguese scheme to sell drugs as artistic. The result ultimately was the formation of a truly massive commercial force that would come to be known collectively as the modern pharmaceutical industry. 
from a chaotic world of stuffed alligators, Venetian treacle, curious cabinets-like shops, enslaved plantation laborers, we now begin to approach the pristine sterility of the pharmacy. Go to chapter 5, Intoxication and the Enlightenment. Got ahead of myself a little bit. Drugs responsible for opening people's mind. Go figure. We'll have to make this one shorter. Also about the time in the episode where I address the sober Sally's. Fucking 45 minutes of drug talk. You really shouldn't be messing with your baseline. I don't want to hear about it because you trip your balls off every single night. <laughs> sober people probably have the wildest dreams. Uh, like all throughout the day, whether you're hungry, whether you're sad, a little dysphoric or euphoric. You go through altered states of consciousness. I don't want to hear this sober bullshit. Sober people probably cry their eyes out. They're in touch with their emotions. So fucking brave of you. Raw dogging life. Wow, you're so heroic. <laughs> it takes a man to go through the highest highs and the lowest lows. Uh, a better word for sober is Kalia. This is the stream of consciousness, and it means excluding emotions. So my fucking bit there, emotions are not included in this thing called Kalia. And um, <laughs> you can scale this up. What is the Kalia of society? And I'll reserve the reserve to say that Kalia might not be the perfect term because even when a sober person listens to music... You're not feeling emotions, but by God, you're getting jacked off of chemicals. Sober people, go listen to Mackie G and tell me you don't feel like you're <laughs> tripping off of MDMA. I'm headbanging already. See, I just got high off of fucking nothing. Sober my ass. And then think about <laughs> all of the information in our pockets. I'll save that for the last chapter, but don't claim you're sober if you spend four hours a day on the pocket square. All right, we got a quote here about nitrous oxide. Nitrous Humphrey Davis was the discoverer. He said, This at least is how it seemed at first. The experience of nitrous oxide is momentarily revelatory, yet ultimately shallow. It is like hearing the opening phrase of a monumental symphony, except the same note repeats again and again and again. He didn't let all the nitrous go to waste. Do you know who Humphrey Davis is in the scheme of history? He started the Grateful Dead. Just kidding. Those people love nitrous, though. Humphrey Davis invented dentistry. Eh, we can't sell this gas. Who's going to lug around a fucking compressed air container? Why don't we just get people high and start ripping their teeth out? Dentistry is bullshit. <laughs> Brush your teeth. One of the things, uh, don't eat sugar. One of the things like a responsible dealer will tell you before purchasing their product is when the onset of the drug is. Let me tell you a quick story here, people. I'm going to fucking brief it because I tell this on stage. When I got my teeth taken out, my wisdom teeth, not sure why we do that. Because you have to pay for braces first and you don't want to mess that up. I got my wisdom teeth taken out. They put me in this room with four chairs in the corner, no curtains in between, facing the wall. I did not get put under. He starts putting the Novocaine in my mouth. And he goes, hey, let me know if you need a little bit more. So, yeah, I guess at least I had a two-way street of medicine. But he did not <laughs> let me know what the onset of this drug was, as Humphrey Davis was known for. Yeah, that was one of the most painful days of my life, feeling a bone be ripped out of my face four times over. <laughs> Good times. You know dentists are stealing canisters of that laughing gas. <laughs> that guy, Hamilton Morris, that's like the king of drugs from our generation. He does all the pieces for Vice. He is obsessed with nitrous oxide. I think he did Xenon in one of those shows. <laughs> it's the most noble of the gases. Someone who's done every single drug on earth to be obsessed with that says a lot. Beware. Stop doing whippets. Guy's a wizard. He's like altered people's trips by letting them know of the offset just through media. Wild shit. Uh, what's his name? Ben starts talking about ayahuasca in Mesoamerica. 
That's the one that takes like eight hours and you shit yourself all day. He did bring up a really good hypothetical here. What it would be like to have accidentally tripped in the Middle Ages. <laughs> and I could answer how you could do that. Go to a Renaissance fair on some LSD. You would immediately think like uh, the big-titted wenches had cast a spell engorging their own breasts. Fucking heretical, what was it called? Charlatans. If you combine this chapter with the last one, Occult Qualities, Charles II was basically taking uh, mushroom wine in the Middle Ages. He got his philosophers to make a bunch of the fairy tales and the King Arthur stories. And Disney stole all the grim fairy tales and turned Pinocchio. <laughs> all that shit is so psychedelic. Ben quote here. For some time now, historians have recognized that a series of important changes in cultural or intoxication around the world took place during the 18th century. In the native ground, American interior alcohol traded by French and British merchants fundamentally destabilized indigenous American social structures. Guys, we did a bad thing. Yeah, we genocided the natives and ruined their culture. Oops. <laughs> like the quote said, we came we saw we destroyed now we implemented money to destroy their social hierarchy and then got them addicted to alcohol the only way to then supply your alcohol addiction is to get more money and there you go the native americans knew all this shit they fucking are addicted to gambling now there was that one scene in the crucible or it might have been scarlet letter where there's the witches in the woods and they go have their little potion and that's what the woods for, were for back in the day. <laughs> you would just go there and either have gay sex or do all your drugs and sins. I don't know, man. The Like the Puritans, they considered the Native American drugs to be demonic. However, alcohol possesses you. It's called spirits. You know, like a fucking disembodied dead person. <laughs> but that's not demonic at all. And the Puritans are calling the Native American drugs demonic. They probably just had a bad trip because they didn't know what they were getting into. Let me tell you this. It kind of breaks the matrix. The definition of satanic is something that seeks to restrict. Does this not make Puritanism the most demonic belief in history? <laughs> Nothing makes sense. You see what I'm saying here? Satan, you're supposed to empower people. I don't know, man. Everybody's a hypocrite. This chapter shifted at the very end. He was talking about getting the fucking everybody in the world hooked on booze. Once we saw we could do it to the Native Americans, we like doubled down on this in society again. Ended this chapter inserting the photo that is the cover for the book. It's a painting from the 1700s called The Monkey's Trick. They say you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover. That's how every single person who clicks on these videos judges the book by its cover. David Teniers was the British guy who painted this damn thing. In the foreground of it, the monkey is tricking an owl into smoking opium. China is supposed to be the wise old owl. And then in the background, there's a monkey tricking the cats into gambling. And America was represented as the uh, stray cat at the time. So maybe it's the Royal Society of London getting America hooked on the stock market, gambling. That's just my theory. You're interpreting art here. You can't be wrong. <laughs> Britain was fucking on top of the world for a minute. We know this. Like, they got everybody hooked on their bullshit. The Monkey's Trick. That's a great name for a painting. Ben summed it up nicely. The Singier paintings introduce an important theme. Intoxicants. Stonks. Intoxicants caused social instability insofar as they differed from prior acceptable norms of intoxication. Like, if you go to an art museum, I guarantee in one of the paintings you're going to see a drunk passed out in the street. That was a tolerable social instability, as the quote says. Same with a bar fight in society. Same as domestic abuse. It's a tolerable social instability people walking around with saucer pupils tripping trying to spread love that is an intolerable instability that's illicit who says that can we vote no it's not democracy the calia of the city is determined by the rulers they determine the philosophy 
they curate the art and they appropriate the behavior the same way people like can take back the culture you can control the fucking kalia of your mind and we try to fucking enlighten on this show on a personal scale as much as society it starts with you we do a little awakening chapter six drug pasts and futures is the final one one of the topics of the show we try to hash out here is the purification of morals are we getting more moral when we enhance technology we kind of learned last chapter we advanced as a species when we got intoxicated (laughs) getting sober and doing science isn't always the best for cohesion people want to test the bombs on each other to front load this argument for myself every time there's a technological revolution individuals lose rights and resources industrial revolution and then you have less time and less money and now after the chick revolution both sexes have to have jobs to (laughs) don't fall for the trap my nick's nonfiction foundation thesis here is i think certain drugs purify morals more than technology it's a natural solution your phone isn't making you smarter (laughs) yo Ben started with drug contraptions from the past, and it wasn't out of the ordinary to go into an apothecary and see a hot box. This wasn't your normal, like, L ride. It looked like an MRI machine. There were all these pictures in the book. They would fill it with a mix of opium and cannabis, and you would give the guy a shekel, and he'd just lock you in the hot box. (laughs) When you look at all, it's a good book downloaded online the artist renditions made the apothecaries look like fucking willy wonka's factory there's all these mason jars full of snuffs and sludges and solids alike we've got uppers and downers and poppers for queers we've got everlasting caffeine and a river of beer (laughs) talk to an oopaloopa they'll put drops in your ears these old Apothecaries sound fucking sick, bro. I want to go and (laughs) eat the grass. I went to some fucking underground dispos when I lived in a hostel in L.A. Shout out Chris Trombone. You know who you are. We wandered into some, like, sketchy warehouse one day. Somebody told us about some cheap fire on the other side of town. We decided to go on an odyssey. On the way out, they were offering dollar dabs. And mind you, I got like a fucking 250 milligram brownie for fucking five bucks. I think it was 10. But, you know, they don't have to abide to the standards and regulations or whatever. On the way out, they're offering dollar dabs. I was going to fucking dollar. Of course we're doing this. <laughs> Let me tell you, people, these were no ordinary dabs. This was some Wonka-level shit. I felt like I was in the apothecary MRI machine. There were seven other dudes slumped on a couch on the way out. They were listening to some good music. This was better than a Chinese opium den. We fucking floated down the street on the way home. I don't remember taking a single step. Maybe a million ants came underneath our feet. Me and the boy went to fucking spud nuts, destroyed a dozen potato cake-based donuts. The ladies watched in horror. It was one hell of a day. The underground fucking apothecaries of today are pretty fucking dope. It's a good time to be a complete degenerate. (laughs) People are choosing to live on the street so they can do heroin. Like, that shit must be pretty good. (laughs) The drugs of the time. If we maybe legalized weed lounges like they're doing in a... Nevada, I think it is one of the first states to just be cool about it. You probably will see uh, less people slumped. We've been talking about drugs of the past. Like, these are the drugs of the fucking present. And I guess I don't know enough about meth to comment on it. I've done a good amount of Adderall in college (laughs) for partying, not for studying. I'm retarded. That'll fucking keep you jawing all night. It's the worst parts of coke. Anyway... Ben does a good past, present, future here. The seeds of the illicit and illicit divide can be found in the process of separation, which was built on fears of counterfeiting and non-European spirituality. 
but other factors were also important above all the rise of alkaloids in the 19th century. You can't risk people doing the peyote because it might <laughs> like make you have a vision of the purple lady and you're only allowed to see the white light when you die to make you believe in Christianity. That quote is all about like finding new alkaloids too. People died of scurvy until we found out you need lemons to cure it. <laughs> Maybe there's some shit about the brain. Like, you don't have to have depression. Everybody's fucking depressed in today's world. I don't know what classifications we're using, but compared to 50 years ago, I think you would say, yeah, people just aren't as generally happy to see one another. You know what I'm saying here? What's the fucking alkaloid that humans are missing out on? mushrooms dude just a little bit at a time i don't want you to blow out the frame like i used to say on the old shows you gotta go through the period of discovery as everybody does with every drug and that's why i'm probably saying that's the most fun time in fucking high school getting drunk at a kegger like and as we're talking more about <laughs> modern world you got to talk about the fucking phones because everybody's addicted to that bullshit that's no way making us happier. It really is the monkey's drug. Same way Bill Gates doesn't let his kids take vaccinations. <laughs> the CEOs of all these applications don't let their kids have phones until they're like 20 years old. It's the monkey's trick, bro. We'll come back to this point, close out the drugs. Look what we do to our grandparents. <laughs> we warehouse them and then pump them full of opium. They could just be getting high in the rec room together. You know what I'm saying? The wrong drugs are being pushed on our culture. Towards the future, Ben says new varieties of intoxication, be they newly invented technologies, products like laughing gas or newly globalized ones like cannabis, offered respites from lives of toil as well as painful experiences of addiction. Yeah, good thing grandma's addicted to smack like a Chinese railroad worker. Fucking Jesus Christ, man. Give her a joint. Ben says, newly globalized to drugs like cannabis. Cannabis is 28 million years old, Benjamin. We tried that. It's the culture. You have to change people's minds. I'm on board with a trend of laughing gas, as he said. It's going to be a hard one to get to catch on, but laughter heals. That could be the Kina plant we're missing. If I had the resources of Willy Wonka, I would fill up a Zeppelin with laughing gas and fly it into the World Trade Center. <laughs> we got towards the end here. Um, barely talked about caffeine, honestly, on the show today, too. If you ever tell someone to give up their morning cup of coffee, they'll look at you like your nose is a cock. And it's the same thing if you tell someone who's obsessed with social media to get off of Instagram. It's because it has become this person's identity. 64% of American adults drink coffee. <laughs> Don't talk to me unless I've had my cup of Joe. Joe Mama. It's the same thing as social media. It becomes your avatar. This is my identity. Phone rehab exists. I shouldn't go far for these points. People literally go to rehab for their phones. The, and you go through DTs when you don't drink enough coffee. I'm finally off that shit. Holy thing. I encourage you to try to do the same. Fix your baseline, dude. <laughs> Silver people suck. Uh, the metaverse. Why don't you get addicted to that? <laughs> it's the goddamn monkey's trick. Do we not see? Like, there's going to be metaverse rehab. Get it? We're going to have that book Irresistible on. I'm saying that's supposed to be the... Bible of phone addiction. I don't know, man. Jean-Jacques Rousseau, you want to comment at the end of the chapter here as we started the purification of morals? Kind of seems like we're using technology to get people addicted to things, like booster shots. I'm going to break the matrix here for the second time. You can use the Puritanism to destroy the Puritanism. I used the stones to destroy the stones. <laughs> You can use the technology to wean off the technology. And you got to stop weaning off the technology first to do that. Like download a fucking meditation app. Download all the books you'll ever need and then go into the woods for a month. <laughs> Cold turkey. 
be responsible. They get that shit that'll turn your screen black and white. Just be aware. You can use chemicals to get you off of certain chemicals. Methadone gets you off of smack. Don't look, don't demonize the fucking chemicals. <laughs> the demons are within you and you'll learn how to quell those over time. Sometimes spirits come in a bottle though. So watch out for that shit. <laughs> uh, Remember, like, there's other therapeutics than getting hammered every night. Get in touch with your Kalia, and the monkey's trick will be much harder to pull over on you. Final quote from Ben. The age of reason might have ended long ago. Perhaps the age of intoxication is just beginning. Por que no los dos, bruh? Like, why can't we have both? The eight? Well, this is a false dichotomy. I'm saying to make my book more interesting. Homie is committing a fallacy. We're bordering a dark age, so he is right in saying the age of reason is well behind us, people. Uh, so maybe the age of intoxication is beginning. Yo! I'll get my roller skates and I'll be on Manhattan Beach in a week or so. Not really feeling those vibes because there's a deadly disease. Yo, there might be like a roaring 20s, some sort of drug 60s boom after this. Forgot to talk about the 60s today. Oh, well, Arizona, I said they're the first state to approve cannabis lounges. We can find a happy medium, people. It doesn't have to be underground California dab clubs. We can have fun and spread love (laughs) without going on the dark web. So buy your test kits and have fun out there. Thank you, Benjamin Breen. Love you, the listener. Thank you for staying tuned for another edition of Nick's Nonfiction. I feel like I just did a line off of a hooker's hip bone. That's how I feel after I do these shows. Probably why I do it. (laughs) Next week, ladies and gentlemen, seven short days from now, we have got men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Kicking off Women's Month as we do, emboldening the matriarchy. Every year, this is the highest percent episode viewed by females. So I got some thinking to do. How am I going to portray this one? (laughs) Should be a fun addition. Similar day, talking about chemical imbalances in the brain. Love is one of those chemical imbalances. (laughs) Thank you guys for staying tuned. Really, uh, Patreon special shout out to everybody over there. We are taking it to another level this year. The memes over there, video memes, hilarious stuff. Instagram Harry Schwant. I'll see you guys real soon. My name Nick Munez. Take it easy out there. Peace.